At what point does an undisciplined team turn into a dirty team? We're going to get into that this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. As always, this is your host, the Iceman, Matt Freights. The coach is out this week. He got sick when we were supposed to record. And as of right now, he is recording his second episode of his side project, Fan to Fan. So we're going to have a lot of content coming to you this week. And as always, we like to pull from the Matty Ice Media Network some talent that we have. And so today to fill into the coach's shoes is Cleve Wason, one of the co-hosts of Political Football. Cleve, it's always good to see that face, my man. Ah, good to be seen, my man. How you been, man? I mean, I'm doing great, obviously. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah, I mean, you know, we keep busy here at the network. We keep busy in our lives. And Coach and I always like to talk about the fact that even though we're doing this, it's a side business and we're family men and we're working men. So making this happen is not an easy task, but I'm always up for recording. And right now in the sporting world, there is not a shortage of content. So if you are a sports podcaster finding topics, and you can't find them, then you need to go back to the drawing board because sports is literally gifting you topics right now. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Yes. But before we get into the topics of the week, I would like to give you the opportunity to tell everybody here at INC what you guys going, what you guys got going on over at Political Football. Um, so new season. We're on week two, um, season three. We do miss you because you you're one of the OGs on the um on the staff. You started the show with us, and um, we do miss you at, at times. But Scott and and Dave have been great. We're kind of at odds about some of the quarterback play, and I'm pretty sure we're going to get into some of that here on Ice Man and Coach. Good things to come, and uh, we you know, we we love uh being on the network, and we love you know uh contributing as much content as we can about the sport of football. Oh, yeah. You guys are very knowledgeable about what is going on in the NFL. And honestly, Dave and Scott, I think to an extent, are very knowledgeable about what's going on in the college world also. But the product that you guys put on is much different. You go into much greater detail than we do here, and you guys kind of go game by game. So if you're looking for that kind of an analysis, you want to make sure to check out Political Football, wherever it is that you find your podcast. But you talked about the fact that we're going to get into some quarterback play. But before we get into the NFL... We're going to do things a little differently in terms of the NFL. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about what I asked at the top of the show, and that was dirty play. And I'm going to make a statement that is not really related to dirty play, but I think it's going to get us into this topic. And it is right now, Deion Sanders and Colorado football is the best sports story going right now. I 100% agree. I mean, if you're not a fan of, if you weren't a fan before um, and you're a Fairweather um, fan now, it's been great. Um, to see what's going on. They, their schedule is going to get really hard now, and we're going to see, you know, what they're really made of uh, with the next two weeks that are coming in and they're missing a key player. But I would have never watched a Colorado football game. I don't think I've ever watched a Colorado football game in my life, and I've watched three already. And um, I was up till the wee hours of the morning like everyone else watching that amazing game uh, last week. Yeah, and that game was the talk of the town for many reasons. But one of the things I noticed about what is happening over there is that Coach Prime is making Colorado football appointment television, and by extension, he's making college football appointment television. Now, it is for a lot of different people for different reasons, but as you pointed out, Colorado football has not been a program that almost anybody has paid attention to probably since they were relevant in the early 90s. So we're talking about 30 years of irrelevancy, 
And what he has done in such a short period of time has made that program matter. And I think by extension has given credence to the way that he does things and just his brand overall has really taken the sport by storm. And I know that there's a lot of detractors and it's probably a lot of old white detractors, not to make this a race thing, but I think that that's a common theme that you see is like older people aren't really into what he is doing. But college football is supposed to be fun. And what he's bringing to the table is 100% the best kind of fun in terms of football. And we should all just enjoy the ride because we may not see anything like this again. I agree 100%. I mean, the transfer portal, transfer portal, excuse me, can't speak today. Uh, it is being used, and I, I kind of tread softly here, kind of being used like a, um, a free agency, if you, would, if you wouldn't um see it that way like they're it's not about paying players to come or whatever i mean you know people are making now whatever they can on the, on the uh, nil money but a lot of people now from what i'm hearing um our recruits from the next two years are calling colorado to uh either get a tape over there as a coach or can they uh, schedule a visit to the campus and we've seen over the years the clemson's of the world the alabama's of the world the, the lsu's and the usc's get those prospects that are trying to get out there but I mean, now it's proactively they're trying to get there because they see something bigger uh, in the sport. Um, as a coach, I think he's amazing. And as a, as a motivator, I think he's amazing. I got mixed feelings about certain things that goes on, but um, you got to take everything with what it is. You know, it's entertainment. It ain't, it ain't the coaching. It's the entertainment of it all. Also, one of the things that he has done is he has turned the business of college football into something that is also fun. And he's not a CEO of a football team. The way that I always talk about Dabo Swinney is like that. Nick Saban is like that. Brian Kelly at LSU. Those guys are really CEOs running a big business. And Dion is actually trying to coach these guys. He's trying to create men from boys. And he's leading these kids. And you can physically see that manifesting itself out on the football field. And with that, though, as you said, comes a lot of antics. I mean, Deion Sanders was somebody before he ever became Coach Prime, and so that personality gets put into his coaching. And with that, of course, comes a lot of people who are not doing it that way. And one of those guys was Colorado State's Jay Norville, which, by the way, everybody learned his name last week when he made those comments. And they were comments that in the moment, I, I was thinking to myself, like, that's the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. But also, I get it, right? As a coach, you're trying to motivate, and I think that was his attempt at sort of being Coach Prime-like. But when you do that, you bring a lot of scrutiny on yourself and on this program, and that game was amazing. Colorado was a big-time favorite, had to scrap out and claw to get that victory, but they did it. And that game, though, was very, very dirty. It was very sloppy, and Colorado State, to me, played a very dirty game. And I wonder to myself, and I'm gonna ask you this point blank, is. At what point did they go from just undisciplined? Because we've seen undisciplined football many times. When did they go from that to dirty? Because I think there was a seminal moment in the game that turned it that way. But I also wonder now, is that program actually dirty the way that they're coached? A few things to unpack there, and I'll, I'll get to the question in one second. Um, I want to preface the, uh, the comments. Um, and this is, this is something that is deep-rooted in, in, in race and racism. And a lot of people missed what, Black people got from that comment. And and I say that not to slight any of my um, friends or who are white, but the statement, so you have two head coaches going against each other for the first time in a, in a, in a, um, in a rivalry game of this magnitude. And of course, all the hoopla that goes wrong with Colorado and things like that. It kind of goes back to how we saw it. And I am putting myself in this basket as well, is that when 
they said that you're talking, when I talk to grown folks, I take off my hat and my sunglasses. Back in the day, that's how we would greet. That's how black people would have to greet white people, take their hat off and, you know, like you kind of like, you know, sir, whatever, and things like that. So we, the black community took it as, whoa, whoa, like, you know, you, you make a comment about this is a, this is great for the sport, two black coaches going at it. And then you make that, that all color comment, no pun intended, and it just didn't land right. But Prime as the um, coach Prime, that is, as the master motivator and, and master showman, actually turned that into a positive by making it personal uh, to sell the game and also selling a whole bunch of sunglasses <laughs> on the side. You know, it, 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 it always something always comes out of it. But that's kind of what happened uh, with that. If, 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 you know, if people are thinking how how the other side saw it as far as the game. I think when um, the game started on the field, when um, people are going out um, to the 50-yard line and uh, players are joining at it, coaches are joining at it, I think at that moment we realized that we're in for something a little bigger. And some of the hits were questionable and some of them were downright dirty. Um, this team actually came to play, meaning Colorado State, uh, came to play. And they have players on both sides of the ball. But what they did, was they showed the the country that they're undisciplined and why they're a losing program because they they had this game gift wrapped. They had this game gift wrapped. I mean, they were beating them uh, for the most part of this game, and then the greatness showed up. I think his halftime speech, his being Coach Prime's halftime speech, is amazing probably because a, a, the team that came out second half was different from the team that we saw uh, up front. So I think it started from the, the moment they got to the field that this was going to be dirty chippy. Here's my thing is I think that whenever a team plays dirty, it's a conscious effort. Now, I never played football, so a lot of people are going to say, how do you know you never step foot in the field? And there's validity to that. But I think in today's day and age, a player knows what's dirty and what is not dirty. And I think that you sort of actively go out of your way in a chippy situation where, let's face it, the national media didn't give them any credence in this in this game, in the lead up to this at all. They didn't really talk about Colorado State at all except for the comments that their coach made. And so they were motivated. They had a chip on their shoulder, as you said. But in order to make that situation better, you have to come out and play a lot more disciplined than they played. And it just seemed to me like they were making conscious decisions to do stupid things. One of the things that I saw was, didn't they have a penalty where they both knocked over the place kicker, or not the place kicker, the long snapper? Everybody knows you're not allowed to do that. And they had two guys take him out. Like, you're not allowed to do this. And the hit on Travis Hunter, the guy obviously got death threats, and we know that we shouldn't be doing that, but he had to know that was a dirty hit. And that's why I say it was a choice. And it seems to me like they missed an opportunity to be the bigger team by going out there and playing the best that they could. Imagine what they would have done had they played discipline. They would have easily won that football game. Absolutely. The you prefaced the the hit on Travis Hunter. Uh, what made it egregious? Obviously, the ball was the ball hit the the turf. Um, he avoided his own man to make this hit, and then when Travis went down, instead of showing some type of sportsmanship, he just kind of walked off like, yeah, whatever. And I think it showed. And I said this on political football last night. It showed a lot of discipline with 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 Colorado because no one left the sidelines to to rush onto the field. Right. That was one thing. Uh, the quarterback sticking up for his guy, that was great to see, but I'm glad that didn't end in penalties or people getting ejected because that could have easily been a situation where Shador's out the game, this guy's out the game, and then we're running a, a backup squad. It's it's a sure loss at that point. The um, the hit by Kamara on Shador, uh, it actually happened with the face mask prior and then the hit 
uh, when the ball was released and then he drove him into the turf, got got kicked out. He cost them the game because at that point the game was winnable. And he, him getting ejected, I'm like, thanks, thanks a lot. If I'm on that team, I'm like, thanks a lot, man. Like this game is now unwinnable because you're not in our best defender all night killing everybody. So it's crazy. And that goes down to coaching because I say this a lot and I've said it a lot on the airwaves when I was doing political football with you guys is that when you see an undisciplined team at 100% is a reflection on the coach. And I'm in the NFL, you're talking about false starts and holdings and stuff like that. But you see this kind of undisciplined play in the NFL too and even dirty plays. And on Monday Night Football, one of the games on Monday Night Football, Nick Chubb had what appears to possibly be a career-altering injury to his knee, the same knee that he hurt at Georgia. And when you go back and look at the play, they didn't show it on television. And I have a question to ask you about that. But yeah, when you go back and look at it, it seems very clear that it was a dirty hit, that it was an unnecessary hit in the moment. Now, there's been a lot of Twitter back and forth about what the responsibility is of the defender. Some guys are saying the defender's job is not to protect the other players and so forth. But when you go back and look at it from a football sense, it seems like Nick Chubb was not going anywhere. And that hit made things a thousand times worse. And it's amazing how that works, right? Because it's like, is that a coaching thing? Like Mike Tomlin doesn't usually or isn't known for that kind of thing. And so Minka Fitzpatrick, did he go into business for himself? Colorado State, on the other hand, just looked overall undisciplined, which I think is a programmatic error. But what? why does this stuff happen in the pros too? Because the Nick Chubb thing, again, career altering. His career could be over. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I found out from the guys yesterday that he this same knee that he injured was something that he injured in uh, 2000. 15 or 16, I believe. Um, catastrophic injury because it was the MCL, ACL, PCL, like the whole, you know, the whole thing uh, had to be reconstructed. And to take another devastating hit on it, you know, this might end his career. I, I hope not, but it's very hard for the position that he plays and what he has to do in that position for him to come back and and do such things. Um, I didn't I didn't see the when it happened. I was watching TV, but I turned away for a second to do something. When I turned back, I heard one of the announcers say, "We're not going to show this." And I'm like, "Oh, this must be bad." So I could have easily jumped on Twitter. I could have easily jumped on TikTok and 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 got that content. But I said, "I don't want to." I'm not a big injury guy. I don't want to see that stuff. Um, but um, no, I <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and this goes back to the Colorado thing too. So anyone who's played football understands once you're on the gridiron, once you're in the confines of of the field, you kind of sign up, whether it's literally or figuratively, you sign up to play football. Football is not a powder powder puff game. It's a violent game. And things are going to happen. You know, things are going to happen purposely and things are going to happen by accident. Uh, we know when we see something, how we look at that. And for the most part, it shouldn't happen because at the end of the day, we're all trying to feed our families. We're all trying to make a living. We're all trying to extend our careers. But these guys, every single guy on the field is always one hit away from it being all over or life changing, as you said. Yeah, it is life changing. And what's sad is five minutes before that injury, I was watching the game. I looked at my wife and I said, you know, Nick Chubb is so fun to watch. He has just an old school way of going about it. I hope that he stays healthy. And I said that in the terms of, I hope he doesn't hit that precipitous fall really quickly. And I came back after putting my son to bed and he's gone for the season. So apparently I have the kiss of death the same way that other teams have the kiss of death. But it was really sad to see. And we've had a lot of injuries in the NFL heading into this. But I think just undisciplined play, dirty play, it doesn't matter what level it is. It's always going to happen. And I guess football to an extent has the same 
protect yourself at all times mentality that boxing does. But I do think that in football, the players have a little bit more control over what they can and can't do to make safety sort of paramount, even within a violent sport. But I want to ask you something, and I heard this take. Somebody that I was listening to was saying that every so often, they should show these injuries to the public only in the sense that to remind us all about what football actually can do to these top athletes. And you said it on Political Football last week. The human body was not made to play football. And so the fact that these guys go through this and the catastrophic nature of the injuries that they can have, I think it's good for the American public to get a reminder. It's not going to stop us from watching. I'm going to watch this weekend. Hard stop. But I think that was an interesting take on that because I think it is good to remind us because a lot of people, when Nick Chubb went down, first thing they did was, hey, is he on my fantasy team? Can I pick up the Browns backup? Kind of dehumanizing these guys a little bit. And again, I'm, this isn't like a moral stand and saying that you should do it differently, but I think that's the way a lot of people think. How do you feel about that? Because I know you're not an injury guy, and so I don't think we should be just blasting it out there, but maybe every so often it is good for the American public to have to witness something like that, to just be subtly reminded, hey, Football is violent, and we're all signing up to watch this. Okay, so when it so when it comes to that, and and I want to I want to preface that's my word of the day today. Um, when you mentioned earlier about you never played football, but you do box, and football and boxing are kind of it, it, it's a very violent sport because you're going towards the danger constantly. And with with that being said, you know when it's when it's when something looks dirty or something is dirty versus when it's not. Now to kind of comment on what you said. It's probably, it's like NASCAR, but people watch for the crashes. I I don't know what I'm watching when I'm watching NASCAR. I don't, I just, I'm watching cars going in oval or circle or whatever. I'm watching that for whatever, how many laps. But when a crash happens, I'm like, holy, you know, this looks crazy. Like, you know, you see all the, the debris field and, you know, the the, the scale of the fighter, um, the um, drivers having it around what's, what's in front of them. It's kind of amazing to that, this skill to do that. But at the end of the day, I think you are right. I think I think you need to humanize what these guys go through, and and you know a guy prepared all season, a la Aaron Rodgers, and then everything's over in a flash. Like that's it. You know, you train months for this, and then that's it. It's like a fighter going in and breaking his jaw in the, in the first round, and you have to either fight with a broken jaw somehow, or they stop it because you can't keep your mouth closed. Yeah. What sucks about the injuries, and I know that they're inherent in the game, they're part of the game, but I was talking with my father-in-law last night about Aaron Rodgers, and I said, it would be easy to laugh at the Jets because the Jets have been that way for a long time, but we all lose because Aaron Rodgers is hurt, because the Jets were going to be a must-watch team this season, and every time these superstar players go down, we as the viewer lose out because we lose out on getting to see greatness out on the field. And I don't think people take into account enough just how brutal football is. We are very easy to armchair quarterback and say, this guy should be better. This guy's a dust ball, as Dave would say. And it's fun when you make content. But like at the end of the day, these guys are putting their bodies on the line. They're getting paid a lot, but they should get paid a lot because what they're doing is just insane. It's a gladiator sport. It is the closest thing that we have to the Roman Coliseum today. Absolutely. And so... I think it's just good every so often to get reminded. I don't need to see the guy, the Louisville guy that you guys talked about, break his leg on the court. Don't need to see that. But every so often, it's not the worst thing to be like, ooh. And the last time I remember seeing it was when they showed Dak's injury. And I thought his leg is basically facing an opposite direction. That's horrible. And Dak Prescott has put his body on the line for my entertainment. And he doesn't even know I exist. 
And so I just think that it's really good yeah. to get that every so often. And then we can go back to being blissfully ignorant and give our hot takes and tell us that the team stinks and this guy sucks and all that kind of stuff. Because look, that's the nature of sports fandom. You're going to do that. But I think that the Nick Chubb thing kind of made me feel a little bit more human about the players that are out there. And before we move to the NFL, though, we do want to take a break to give our sponsor, New Era Caps, their flowers. All right, man. So let's move on to the NFL. So we are now in week two or just past week two. And I always notice every single season when we were doing PF and even before that, that overreactions and underreactions are really the theme of this period of time in the NFL. Because I think what ends up happening is if you're a fan of a team and your team is either 2-0 or 0-2, you have some kind of a reaction. A lot of times the 2-0 teams, they feel overconfident and the 0-2 teams are kind of underselling just how bad things could get from here on out. So I'm not going to do what you guys do. We're not going to go over every game, but I want to go over the 0-2 teams and the 2-0 teams and kind of break down whether they're in trouble or whether they're real. Does that sound like it's a good idea to you? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, man. So I want to start with a team that you have been high on for the last couple of years. And I think in my mind is one of the most worrisome 0-2 teams, and that is the Cincinnati Bengals. So obviously coming off a Super Bowl berth two years ago, an AFC Championship berth last year, where they started 0-2 last year, they're now 0-2 again, having lost a crucial division game. But this season to me feels a lot different than last because I think Joe Burrow is probably 50% at best. And in the NFL, if your star quarterback is out, your team is out. So I'm definitely very worried about the Bengals and think that if Joe Burrow was out even for three weeks, they may find themselves one and four. And that to me is too deep of a hole to dig yourself out of to even think about making the playoffs. I make that sentiment too. Um, we talked about this on PF yesterday or last night. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not, you know, I'm obviously not a doctor, but I'm a trainer. And one of the things about a calf injury or calf strain, depending on what what level of injury that he sustained, I I personally think that he got to rush back a little bit too soon. Um, and it's still aggravating him. It's still, still going to bother him. But the the precursor to the to, you know what could happen is what happened to Aaron Rodgers. So. It's week two, week three coming up. Do you sit him for a game or two? Or do you trot him out there and, and, and hope that he works through it? Um, they are worrisome at 0-2. And, and if they if they go, you know, the next three games without wins, then this team is in real trouble, real trouble. I don't think it's an overreaction to say that this team is in trouble right now because I think the injury to the position that they have an injury to is crucial. I mean, this is not like last year where they had Jamar Chase was out for a couple games. Joe Burrow was lighting things up. This is not having your guy back there. And I don't even know who the Bengals backup is. But if Joe Burrow has to be out for any extended period of time, they cannot survive. That tells you something if you have no idea who the backup is, which means they are royally screwed. And I think that this <laughs> 0-2 is not really an overreaction to say that I think that they're going to miss the playoffs this year. Man, that'll be tough because I, I got them as... <laughs> as going to the big dance. They're one of my teams that are, that are going all the way. So we'll, we we shall see. We shall see. So the other, the other team that I think is very worrisome for a different reason is the Los Angeles Chargers. And I don't know what it is about this team. I've never trusted them. I have heard people make chargering a verb. And they're sitting now as one of the most offensively impressive teams in the league. And they're somehow 0-2 having lost to the Titans this past week. And I'm looking at this and thinking, Brandon Staley continues to have a job. He has not produced in any way, has a catastrophic playoff loss on his resume, 
and he's wasting Justin Herbert. And I don't know if this team can get it together because if they lost two games right off the bat, are they ever going to figure it out? And as the season goes along, you have little nicks and little bumps to all these guys and guys get banged up. So I'm a little worried about them, but I think they have a little bit more of a shot because Herbert is so good and he may be able to overcome this. I, I kind of see it a little different. And I, but I also see the same thing that you guys see about this franchise because it's not just this year or this team. It's always every year at the Chargers. Like they're always right in the hunt and then they're not. For some reason, this is a weird thing. I think Scott said sacrifice a gold or something, which is crazy. But um, uh, Eckler's already hurt you know, or, or banged up or chipped up or whatever. And then um, I think. I think uh, Dave gave us the stat last night that they they're one of uh, two teams that are <laughs> that have scored like fifty points <laughs> or something like that, and they're zero two. Yeah, like it, the, the math doesn't match. It doesn't match up at all. Like what we're watching and what's on paper, and I'm like, so we're, who is this team? What's the identity of this team? Because you're right, Herbert is not being utilized, um, and hopefully that they'll, they'll take the Corvette out of the garage and let them rip. Think about this with the Chargers for a second. The Packers had two back-to-back Hall of Fame quarterbacks, won two Super Bowls out of it, probably less than they should have, but they still won two Super Bowls out of it. The Chargers are going to have Phillip Rivers immediately followed up by Justin Herbert, who that could end up being two back-to-back Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and they might not win a darn thing. And that's just, it's crazy. And I don't even know how to describe that as far as the franchise. Like, how do you describe to somebody who doesn't know a thing about football why this is happening I think it's just one of those weird sort of gut feelings like they just don't have it as an organization. And it's weird because they should be a lot better. I don't get it. You're 100% right. And I remember you you always preface this by saying that they got rid of Shoddy with a, with a, with a winning record. 14-2. <laughs> they fired a coach with a winning record. Like that's, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you seriously do that? We're going to get to the Bears in a minute, but I saw a stat today that since they fired Levy Smith, who was 10 and six in his last season, I don't think they've won 10 games since. So it just is crazy to me when these guys get fired. Yeah. So (laughs) I I think the Chargers actually are in trouble. And I think that they almost need an overhaul. It's like, hey, we've got the piece that is the hardest to get. We've got Herbert. We've got, this guy's got a cannon. Like he should be slinging dimes out there. And if he is under any other guy, I feel like they're winning football games. Like it's just crazy to me to think about wasting a talent like this. Brandon Silly needs to go back and be a coordinator somewhere. He is not head coach material. Hot take. I think he's overrated, and I think that the Chargers are going to be moving on from him. All right, so another team that is sort of laugh out loud funny at 0-2 is the Broncos because I have been on the train that Russell Wilson has been washed for quite a while, and I didn't think bringing in Sean Payton was going to help. And man, that loss to the Commanders was so great for so many reasons because it looks like they might be able to sneak a victory in there, and they can't get the two-point conversion. But Russ kind of looks lost. The team doesn't have any discipline. I, I don't know. I just think that they might be done in terms of Russ. And then what do they do after that? Because, again, it's the hardest position to find the guy in, and Russ isn't exactly ancient. Well, there's a good quarterback class coming out next year. <clears throat> so you you might have to hinge your hat on that if they're, if they're picking high. The other thing about Russ is his numbers actually look pretty good. They look better than last year's numbers. I mean, they're not they're not eye popping, but they're they're better. Um, I just think, yeah, I, I think his time has come, unfortunately. And it's kind of like, what do you do after that? You're you're one hundred percent right. What do you do but draft another quarterback? And hopefully it pans out. But I don't think uh, Peyton is hanging his hat on 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 Russ being his guy for the next couple of years. So I don't get the sense that actually Peyton 
thinks Russ is his guy. Like when they brought him in there, I don't get that sense at all. Like the reports that we're hearing about how he kind of talked to him, treated him. No, it's not his guy. And that's strange, though, because you take such a risk. They had to pay and draft capital to get Sean Payton because he was still technically employed by the New Orleans Saints. And so here comes this guy in who's got a pedigree. I personally believe that Sean Payton is massively overrated for winning that one Super Bowl. And what absolutely one of the things that showed in this game was that onside kick that he tried to get cute to start the season, right? Is that what he did? I think it was to start the season and it didn't work because his guys didn't let it go 10 yards. And I'm like, see, this is what I'm talking about is if that happens in the Super Bowl, they do not win that one Super Bowl. And we're not talking about Sean Payton here now. And I'm very, very firm on this take that Sean Payton got way too much credit for winning that one, one Super Bowl. He has the same amount of Super Bowls as Mike McCarthy. Yeah, and and to Russ's credit, um, I'm not big on disrespect, but if I'm Russ, I'm like, okay, I get all the antics. You don't want me to have my own locker room. You don't want me to have my own staff coming in. I get that, but who are you talking to? I got, I got one Super Bowl ring and another appearance, right? And I was on a good team. So talk to someone else that rough, but I get it, coach. Um, but you're right. I don't think it's his guy, and he's just going to like just burn this out and then get the guy that he really wants to coach. Yeah, but I think the Broncos might be in trouble because they have two losses now. One of them is to the Raiders, who is in their division. The other one's to a, an NFC opponent, so that's fine. But they haven't played the Chiefs twice. They haven't played the Chargers twice. Now, I know we both said that the Chargers may not make the playoffs, but I think that they're more talented and could actually win games down the stretch. And so the Broncos now find themselves in this 0-2 hole. And what's significant about 0-2 is I think historically like 70% or 75% of the teams that start 0-2 don't make the playoffs. So it's not good looking for them. And I honestly think that because Russ is not their guy, even if his numbers look okay on paper, I think that all the other metrics and just the eye test tell me that this team is not destined for a long playoff run. Correct. I agree with that wholeheartedly. All right, so a team that makes me sad, but we have to talk about them, is the New England Patriots. Now, I'm not surprised that they're 0-2 because they got the Eagles and the Dolphins, two of the best teams in the NFL. I think that that's it's not really debatable at this point in the season. But I know that you're not a big Mac Jones guy, and I know a lot of people are saying that he's lost out there. But I think that he's playing a lot better under competent management. Last year, it's almost like when I talked about Sam Darnold, how yes. if Sam Darnold got drafted into the league under a more competent coach would be easy to get because Adam Gase was his coach. I don't think that he is where he is today. So Mac Jones almost regressed because of such terrible decision-making about who was going to be over the offense last year. And so this is almost like a rookie year for him in a lot of ways because it's a new offensive scheme, they're doing new things, and they don't have any weapons. So I think ultimately the Patriots are going to be a bad football team this year, which I think is good for them in the long run because if they get a top 10 pick, through every round in the draft. That actually sets them up to be able to team build over the course of the draft. But I think that Mac Jones is better than people are giving him credit for. And I think over the course of the season, having worked with Bill O'Brien, I think it's going to look better even if the record isn't better. How do you feel about that? Um, I agree with the first part of it, that we shouldn't judge him based on last year's um, debacle of, of who's calling plays and him trying to figure out two uh, significant different styles of coaching on center you guys made justin i'm sorry um um tua and hurts look ordinary and that's a testament to the coaching all right Tua's coming off this really big crazy game but again they, the dolphins look beatable i mean they look normal like you know like that it's a very hard offense to uh to defend against but 
you guys, the coaching matters. I, I, it, it's like you know we, you know we're both boxing fans. We talk about sometimes the technicalities of fights. Um, they showed, and I think they're going to beat us when when we roll in there. I think they're going to beat us, and not because Zach's awful. I think it's just that the coaching is going to be superior. The the coaching always is going to matter. So Belichick is out of that organization. There's, there's always the, uh, um, a puncher's chance. There's a puncher's chance. So I, you guys have a different um, meaning. The uh, New England uh, fandom has has a different way of looking at a, a losing season. Um, but again, you know, if you guys win eight nine games with what's going on, it's kind of like a rebuild almost. It is. It's kudos. Oh, it's a hundred percent a rebuild because this is again like almost resetting the clock. Like Mac Jones is out there and he looks the same way he did in his rookie year last year. He looked frustrated. And he just didn't have the kind of demeanor that you want from your starting quarterback. But he's out there running the plays. And I feel like he's running the plays in a way that he knows that he's throwing to a bunch of, as Dave would say again, dust balls. Because he's throwing to a bunch of nobodies out there. But they still manage to stay in the game somehow. And that defense is top tier. I mean, that defense may be top five in the NFL, the way that it is currently built. Which Yes, coaching. Coaching. Is again a testament to, yes, coaching. And also, Bill Belichick knows how to build the defense. And over the course of the last few years, they've gotten these pieces together. They draft Christian Gonzalez. That's going to be a defense that if they can get the offense to be just serviceable, that could be a Super Bowl winning defense with almost a Trent Dilfer-like offense, if you put it that way. But if they ever get their act together and get some real offensive weapons, either through the draft or free agency, that could be a dangerous team. It's just not going to happen this year. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. But stat for you. First time the Patriots have been 0-2 since 2001. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, if someone was born in 2001, they've already gone to high school and college. <laughs> like, that's insane. I know. That's insane. I graduated high school in 2001, <laughs> and they haven't been 0-2 since the start of that season, which was when Tom Brady came in, and the rest, as they say, is history. Okay, wow. so two more teams that are 0-2. One of them is obvious. The other one is just hilarious. So the Vikings. The Vikings have zero business being 0-2 because Kirk Cousins, I saw a stat today that he is on pace to throw for 6,000 yards and like 50 touchdowns, and they're 0-2. And so this team with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson has no business being this bad, but I think the question needs to be asked in an NFC that has some top-tier talent in a division that may have a little bit more talent than we thought with Jordan Love and the Detroit Lions being a little bit better. Is it time to think about blowing this up and getting rid of Cousins for something and getting rid of Jefferson for something? Because I'm going to tell you what, right now, he's not going to be putting up 175 yards and two touchdowns a game to be 0-5 or 2-7 and or whatever. Like He's going to want to win and he's going to want to go somewhere. They may need to be proactive about this and be realistic in the fact that I don't think that this core has it anymore. What do you think? Same thing. I, I know that we're, we try to give opposite um, views on things, but uh, Jefferson wasted talent again. Um, I don't know what's going on. Kurt, Kurt is, I think you said it best a couple of seasons ago, it might have been last season, that he is prime time. <laughs> and the minute that he's in daylight, he's like a vampire in the sun getting burnt. Uh, but, you know, that ain't my take. That's just reality. <laughs> like, that is just the facts of his record and the way that he plays. You called him Blade. I think that is perfect. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he is weirdly like that. But the thing is, Cleve, is like, Justin Jefferson is not necessarily being wasted because he's putting up monster numbers. Like, this guy is one of the most talented receivers in the league since Randy Moss. I'm comfortable saying that. He's amazing. But he's being wasted in terms of the fact that a team that has him should be winning a goddamn Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. I... 
Um, I think I gave you guys a little tidbit um, the other day that he has, he's 24 years old and he has more receiving yards than the entire Bears franchise. Like, like it, that's insane. And he's 24, so he's got another five years. Oh, man. He's got quite a bit of time on his prime. I mean, he's probably not even fully reached it yet. But I think Kirk Cousins could be an interesting trade piece. Like, if that team by the trade deadline has, like, one, maybe two wins, there are teams, the New York Jets, who could use a very competent quarterback. Now, if you take Kirk Cousins and put him on the New York Jets, instantly back to being a Super Bowl contender, depending on where they are record-wise. Like, if Zach Wilson can keep that team hovering near 500, Kirk Cousins could actually do some good on that team. I really do believe that. They'd have to give up a lot to get him, but that's kind of where you are. This team is in win-now mode, so you make the move to get him. But Justin Jefferson, though, like, I think they want to sign him. I just don't think they're reading the room correctly. When you watch how poor this team has played in terms of losing, he's not going to stand for that. Like, no high-talent player in the NFL anymore is going to stand and do the Barry Sanders thing and just be on losing teams and retire early. They want a friggin' win, and they're going to ask to get traded, and it's going to happen. And I just wonder if it's time to think about that earlier rather than later and say we had some of his best years and let's see what we because they can get a haul for both of those guys and reset in the draft. That's, I think, what they have to do. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point. You know, why <clears throat> the Barry thing? Like, why stay on teams that, that aren't going anywhere when you're like, hey, I, I want a Super Bowl. This is why I came to the NFL. Why I, I this is my dream. So, yeah. It's weird. They're weird too. It, it, it's it's weird. And 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 as a Jets fan, I gladly take Kirk Cousins. Oh yeah, you would. I mean, even if see the thing is, is like you take Kirk Cousins knowing what you're getting, right? Like, okay, he's gonna have to win a prime time game, but that's better than what you're currently trotting out there on the field at quarterback. Like, it gives you more hope. That's the whole reason why you traded for Aaron Rodgers in the first place. You're like, all right, we got a 40 year old quarterback, but this is better than any quarterback we've ever put out there. Like. His worst season, I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers, is better than the best season any Jets quarterback has ever had. Think about that for a minute. His worst season is better than anything. It's crazy. Other, other than Namath, because Namath got a chip out of it. But you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's insane. And so the last 0-2 team, which you already mentioned, is the Chicago Bears. And um, I, I just, so I kind of, I'm almost triggered by the Bears because the Bears are a classic organization. They're one of the oldest franchises. They have some of the greatest uniforms. They just, everything about the Bears should be better. And they draft Justin Fields. A lot of people were very high on Justin Fields. You and I both are very low in terms of Ohio State quarterbacks. And so far, I think it's safe to say that Justin Fields has been a disaster. And I think up until a couple of hours before we recorded this, I was willing to say, but let's give him some time. I don't know how you feel about the comments that he made publicly about the coaching. And we both just talked about how coaching does matter. But I think, though, that he's not assessing himself correctly when he's doing this and talking about the coaches, because it is a mixture of both. You can overcome bad coaching if you know things not to do. Like, Justin Fields knows how to play quarterback in the league, I believe. And so I don't think he needs a coach to make him the best that he can possibly be. I think that he has that in him. And to me, it feels very disappointing for him to say that, but also on the other side of that, knowing that he has not had real competent coaching in terms of game planning, offensive line play. And so I can understand his frustration, but this is a team that's going nowhere this year. I think they might even be thinking about moving on from Justin Fields, which is kind of insane because we've seen flashes and that flash should turn into something, but it's just not there, man. It's just not. And he's 
He's the guy who, in a in a comedy movie, when something bad happens and he tries to fix it, like plugging a hole in a ship, a whole bunch of other holes with water come out. And that's he's trying to plug all the holes at once and he just can't do it. And I think that's a fair assessment of the way that he has looked. It's not great. And I'm not a huge fan of him taking a dump all over the coaches when he's not taking any accountability for himself, in my opinion. You're being far too kind. And I'm going to be a little harsher about the Justin Fields because I wasn't, I wasn't. Um, Please so, do it. So here's the thing, right? Some, some people, um, some athletes, their game can transcend coaching. Their games can, you know, with the raw talent, like a la Michael Vick, right? Michael Vick admittedly said that he, he didn't really watch a lot of film. A lot of it was ad lib stuff. He kept it really basic out there and he, he had the freedom in, within the offense to kind of make something happen because he was such a dynamic talent. And again, generational talent at, at his skill set. I don't think Justin Fields is a NFL quarterback. And I'm not saying that because we, we, we talked about this earlier about, you know, it's easy to armchair quarterback after the fact or say how easy or hard their job is. I don't think from watching Stroud this past weekend and Richardson this past weekend and Zach Wilson not doing anything, even Jordan Love, who's been in the league for a while, but technically this is like his rookie season. That's yeah. the fl- that's Flash. Flash is what you saw in Stroud throwing up 386 yards or whatever it was. That's Flash. When I see Justin Fitt, I don't think he knows, he can't process quick enough what's going on on the field, right? Whether the play is simplified or whatever, he's just not seeing it. He's not catching up. He's not getting it, right? Some some quarterbacks can come out of college and just just – you know, go, you know, a la um, Herbert. You know, Herbert came out, and I think we we all said it on political football in his rookie year. This kid comes out in, in the game that um, Tarad gets his l- lungs punctured and, like, plays like he's been playing forever. So, yeah, I don't think, um, I, I'm you know, again, I'm no one to make a comment about someone's athletic ability. I just don't think he's processing and he's playing the position. And I think it is time to move on from him. Um, that 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 draft class is now showing really like wow how how you guys always say you and Dave will always say a quarterback can set back an organization a couple of years. Hundred percent. And if you think about it, Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones could be the two best quarterbacks coming out of that draft class, and that's saying a lot because Trevor Lawrence is far and away better than all the other guys. So for Mac Jones to be two when everybody thought he was the worst prospect at the time says something about that quarterback class. And honestly, it says something about draft analysis and scouting. It's not a perfect science. And they don't even know what they're doing. Even these guys who do scouting don't know because I know you gave Scott a lot of crap because of what he said about Zach Wilson as a prospect, but that just shows you, like, we don't really know anything. And so we're just all making guesses out there. But I think, you know, the Bears are in trouble and Zach Wilson's in trouble and Scott's in trouble. You know what you see. We all witnessed Peyton Manning's rookie season where he threw like 15 picks or whatever it was. I can't remember how bad it was. Almost 30. Yeah, almost Yeah, almost 30. So like, but then he turned into a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like it's, it, you know, because he had it in him, right? There's flashes or whatever. It's in him. Um, I just don't think there's, every once in a while you get a guy that looks the part and this is, you know, this is what a lot of people get caught up in, looks the part, but it's also here, right? processing what's going on and, and seeing that, you know, he, the, and, the, and the coaching again. I mean, I, you dump on the coaches like it's kind of Bush League to me. Just kind of t- you're the quarterback. Take the blame in the defeats. Take the, you know, the praise and the victories. 
100%. So let's move on to the 2-0 and o teams because we've talked about crap enough. So when I look at these 2-0 and o teams, believe it or not, man, there are nine 2-0 and o teams in the league right now. Yeah. And when I look at all of these teams, I circle four or five as maybe being for real. So let's go over the ones that I think are probably for real. I think the Dolphins are for real as long as Tua stays healthy, of course. And what I said the other day when talking to some people was what worries me about Tua, because you could say that about every team, well, if the quarterback stays healthy, but his injury in particular could set the organization back because if he gets another concussion, that may be the end of his career and that sets the Dolphins back a decade perhaps and they've already been set back enough. But I think that if everything rolls right for the Dolphins, they're a Super Bowl contender. I think Tua looks really good right now. He looks comfortable in the offense and in year two under Mike McDaniel, I think that they do look good. But I know you're not big on Tua because of all the injury history, but I think if he's healthy, he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league and a lot of teams would kill to have him. Yeah, I, I always give him crap. You know, I don't, you know, necessarily dislike him as a person. I think he's, you know, he's great. But I am, it's like the Floyd Mayweather thing. I didn't, I didn't get to appreciate the greatness until I watched like what I'm watching. And I'm like, wow, he's suited for that offense. It's designed around him. He delivers a really good ball. He's pretty accurate uh, as Dave always clamors. I'm like, wow, this, this guy's putting the ball to Waddle and, 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 and Hill like where it needs to be. So, but again, you guys made them look ordinary. Oh, he's a brain surgeon within 15 yards. Yeah, it, it, so it's it's definitely um, definitely something to behold. And um, like you said, I, I I hope he has a great season. I hope he stays healthy. Um, concussions are a part of the game, and let's just hope he doesn't have a, another catastrophic one that we see. I totally agree. And so a team that I think is in the same exact boat as the Ravens, I think that they're talented. Lamar Jackson is obviously talented, but they're a Lamar Jackson injury away from being not a non-contender, but I think obviously they lose all of their potency. So things have to go right for them. I think you and I both agree on that. And it's not even about Lamar's style of play anymore. It's just injuries seem to be happening more frequently in the NFL and they're happening to quarterbacks. So the Ravens just have to hope that they get a fully healthy season. And I think that they will be a contender in the AFC if that's the case. Yeah. Was it last year? They, they The injury bug hit them hard right? Was it last year or the season before that? Yes, very hard. Yeah, they got hit hard. Very yeah. hard. And they already have, Dobbins is out for the season as Correct. well. So, and OBJ was out for the second half, I think, of the Bengals game. So injuries are going to happen. So next team is the Cowboys. The Cowboys are one of those teams that I just can't trust because they haven't been able to win a big game in a very long time. But through two games, their defense is definitely on point and their offense seems to be putting up points. But again, it remains to be seen as we get later into the season, the Cowboys as an organization kind of in that Chargers mode where it seems like they can never win these games that they have to win. And that's what I'm going to be looking to see, but we're not going to see that until the playoffs because unless something catastrophic happens, this is a guaranteed playoff team, in my opinion. Yeah, well, you you know my motto, my catchphrase, doing the playoffs. So I they're they're that team. I need to see I need to see it then. Talk to me in like week eight or nine. I agree. The other team that's in the NFC East is the Eagles, who are 2-0. But I'm not going to lie, man. I haven't been super impressed with the Eagles. I think that last year they caught a lot of teams off guard. They had a softer schedule. I'm not going to call it soft. But they don't seem to have that swagger that they were known for last year. Because I think coming into this year, they got Target on their back now. And it's going to be harder to win football games. And they're going to have to win games. They're going to get everybody's best shot. Coach said it about Notre Dame. But they do not and will not have the luxury of teams taking them for granted anymore. I think it's going to be a fine season for them, but I think that they're not going to dominate the way that they did last year because teams have more tape on them and they're going to be ready for them. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. And then we have the 49ers, who we both know are excellent, but I still 
have some questions about Brock Purdy long term throughout this season and not because I don't think he can play quarterback. I love the story. I love him. But in this past game, he was missing some throws that he needs to get under control because they should have scored like 50 points against the Rams. And he's got a ton of weapons. But that team is going to be dangerous as long as Brock Purdy doesn't degrade himself to below his mean. I think if he plays the way he played last year, this is a Super Bowl contender. As I said on political football last night, I'm not too worried about Brock right now. If this was week nine or 10 and that happened, I'm like, okay, what's going on? Because technically this is like his rookie year as well. Like he, he's, he was six or seven games last year, taking over for, you know, for the injuries. It's kind of like when you're, you can't believe something, someone's that wide open and you just like, you chuck it down, feel like, oh my God, I can't believe I missed this guy. But I'm pretty sure with the coaching over there, they're going to go through these scenarios again, where he's going to have to, you know, make a decision to, you know, either tuck it and run or get it downfield. Like, I think they're going to practice these scenarios with him and he'll be better. I'm giving him a pass for right now, but if this is happening like week nine or 10, then yeah, they have a problem over there. Oh, I'm going to give him a pass too. But I will say, I think he does look comfortable in the pocket. Like he looks comfortable running the offense, which is what you want to see last year. He looked more like a rookie, kind of like, I can't believe I'm playing in these games. And you can tell that the team respects him. And so that's the kind of thing that you want to see. Moving on to the 2-0 teams. We got the Washington Commanders. There's no way that this holds. They beat the Cardinals, who really, really stink. The Broncos, they should have probably won that game by a lot more. But I don't think the Broncos are really good. And I just think that over the course of the rest of the season, injuries start to hit, teams start to play better, the cream rise to the top. I don't see the Commanders in the fold, but it's a nice story as of right now. I kind of do see them in, in the mix. Reason being, you know, they're in a tough division this year, except for the Giants, but um, be enemy. That's the X factor. That's the delta in this equation. Um, I don't think Riverboat Ron is coaching this team. I think the enemy is coaching this team. You can kind of see the the difference in the, in the two squads, the way the Chiefs are playing and the way Washington is playing. The enemy is a factor. Like he's, he's getting the best out he can get out of Sam Howell. But I do agree that it, the shoe is going to drop at some point. And it's going to be a great story. But um, I think if they win a few games, we're looking at the next coach as enemy being elevated and, and Ron's out. Yeah, totally cool. Never seeing Riverboat Ron ever again. Let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> so the Falcons are 2-0. Offensively, they have a ton of talent. But can I just ask you one question? Why do they even have Kyle Pitts if they're just not going to use him? We've, we've been beating our heads against the wall with that for season now and then like him having was it two catches for 15 yards or whatever it is it's like what you know like it oh it was so bad if i'm him i just show up on game day and just run a couple of routes and i'm like is this what i'm gonna produce because you guys aren't using me at all send me to the chiefs yeah he's gonna be he's gonna be on another team at some point because i mean it's just weird how arthur smith doesn't seem to be on the same page with what they're drafting like it's just really strange because it's like they have drake london Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts, any team would kill for that kind of an offensive core. And then they're throwing Desmond Ritter out there who, <laughs> look, no offense to that guy. He's playing his heart out. He's 2-0. But this was the big worry that I had. And I know that that division stinks and their schedule overall isn't very good. But I still don't think that this team is some kind of contender because if they're going to have mediocre to subpar quarterback play, they're in the same boat as the Jets, in my opinion. Now, I think that Ritter should hold up better than Zach Wilson, but it's still not something that gives me a, a, a lot of confidence, but their weapons are are there. If they just use Kyle Pitts more, my goodness, that team would be unstoppable. But I think their coach is just going to be very reluctant to do so for basketball reasons. <laughs> Good point. 
Yeah, I just don't get it. We don't need to talk about the Saints at all because that is got to be one of the worst two in our teams have ever seen. It's just abysmal to watch. Chris Olave is a great talent, but he's going to get wasted there. We're going to see him on another team. I like Derek Carr as a person. I thought he was actually a good quarterback when he was with Vegas, but I just don't see it there. And the Bucks. So I want to ask you something, man. So you're a Baker guy, and I like Baker too. Yeah. I am having a lot of fun watching him get this team to wins that I think organizationally they 100% do not want, but he is playing really, really well right now. And I'm happy for the guy because I hope that he plays himself into some money. So Baker this year, and he might play himself into a bag, I will agree. The thing about Baker is that you get two Bakers. You get the one that doesn't care, and then you get the one that just plays by the seat of his pants. I do give him a pass because of what happened to him in Cleveland, um, getting two awful coaches, and then getting jettisoned to to the Rams in the middle of their season. And then not really getting, you know, getting a chance. But I think when he plays with an edge, he's that guy. You know, I have a love of Baker because he, he just sometimes does some things and you're like, wow, this guy's nuts. But then you realize that he there's flashes there and, and he's pretty he's pretty good. I would actually take him on the Jets, believe it or not. Well, I, I think actually Baker is an interesting trade piece. I think he's more attainable than Kirk Cousins because I, I truly believe that the Vikings feel as if they are still in win-now mode. But I think that the Bucks are looking at this and thinking, we did not expect to be 2-0. and And while this is fun, they might be able to trade him. If the team starts to kind of go sour, they start losing some games, but Baker is still playing well, the Jets might be able to get him for a fairly attainable price. And he's an upgrade to Zach Wilson. That's the thing. Is not much as an upgrade to Zach Wilson, but I think that Baker would be interesting. But I'm rooting for Baker. I honestly think it'd be amazing if the Bucks went like 10-7 and and made the playoffs somehow and Baker played his way to a contract with some other team because there are there are teams that could use him if he's the right Baker. And I think that he's motivated to be just a quarterback now. Like he has been humbled, I think, to an extent because he didn't make it in two places yeah. after yeah. he was jettisoned from Cleveland. So you got to make it somewhere. And he's doing it with the Bucks right now. So I think it's a great, great story. And I think, though, that of all of these 2-0 teams, we don't really believe in a lot of them, except for the ones that we kind of already knew were good. Like the ones we talked about at the beginning, I think that we knew were good. But there are some stories to watch in the NFL. And now that we have bumped up to the end of the show, we have one more thing to get into, my man. Iceman's stat of the week. As always, Coach and I usually give a personal flair this time of the episode, but since Coach is not here, we will not do a pick of the week until Friday's college football show. But Cleve, Iceman's stat of the week, I don't even have to look at this stat because it's so amazing that I have memorized it. You're obviously familiar with Tom Brady. You saw him rip your heart out so many times. Yeah. You may have actually heard this stat already, but did you know that Tom Brady never took a snap in the NFL where he was mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Wow. That might be the best Tom Brady stat that I've ever heard because I was thinking about it in my mind and I'm like, there's no wow. way. But the year that they didn't make the playoffs was in 2002 and they played their game before they were eliminated. They were eliminated when another team won a game at the end of the day. So he never took a snap where he was mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. That's just it's bonkers to me to play 20 years in the NFL and always have a chance at being in the playoffs every time you stepped out in the field and every snap that you took. It's just crazy. 
We're going to be talking about Tom Brady's stats until the end of time because he's just unprecedented. I don't even think Mahomes is going to have those kind of stats. So yeah, no, no, we we there's a that's one of those records. It's like another fifty years ago by before someone even gets close to that. Um, love him or hate him. Um, when people talk about the goats, you know, stuff like that, some people get put off because they talk about errors and all of that kind of stuff. I think you put Tom Brady with his skill set in any era, he's Tom Brady. Again, I just think that you can't measure a man by just his physical ability. I think also the drive that he has. Uh, I was watching something on TikTok the other day and Edelman, you know, sharing stories on, on one of these shows he was on. And he said that right after they had a loss, I forgot what game it was in the offseason. And then he said uh, he went to Tom's house. Tom had a whiteboard out and he had the Super Bowl location and everything on the whiteboard he says we're going to be here next year like we're going to go and then he goes oh you're going for um some some record or whatever he goes no I'm, I'm going after what Jordan got and it was like I'm not doing the code any justice but you can't you can't manufacture that like some people just have it it's the it thing it's like um, you know look at a quarterback like Wilson and used to he don't have it he doesn't have what that it is he doesn't have where he's showing that he's trying Versus like he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing out there. So Tom, Tom is, I mean, every, any stat that I hear, I'm actually amazed by, but that, that is insane. I agree. I was blown away when I saw it and it was instantly the stat of the week. So Cleve, we have reached the end of the show, my man. It's been a good hour and I'm glad that you came on here, but do you have any parting words for our loyal listeners and watchers? Um, check out political football and um, obviously um, Iceman and Coach, um, great content on the network. And we, you know, we look forward to seeing every everyone uh, every week. So the big game. 100 percent agree. So before we get you out of here, a little bit of housekeeping. If every single Friday, college kickoff eve, Coach and I preview the weekend that is to come of college football. We have a great, great time. We had Tyler Budge of CF Budge last week. And it was a lot of fun this week. It's just going to be me and coach. We're going to be talking through the tremendous slate of college football games, which also include Colorado at Oregon. So make sure to check us out Friday, 9 p.m. sharp live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter and Facebook. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on TikTok at INC Sports is the handle to do that. We are on Facebook. You can search for INC Sports. If you want to find us on Twitter at Iceman and Coach is the handle. Twitch INC Sports is our channel. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, make sure to follow, subscribe, rate, all that kind of stuff. It's not technically mandatory, but it is very, very helpful. And of course, support the Matty Ice Media Network for all of your podcasting needs. Cleve, it has been wonderful. I hope this finds everybody well. I hope this finds everybody safe. And as always, from me, Coach, and Cleve, this is Iceman and Coach. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.